are listening to the Bat Flip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Bat Flip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on March 1st of 2022. Uh, so we are going to talk about the CBA negotiations um, this week and the announcement today of Rob Manfred of canceling regular season games. Uh, we had a CEO slash owner step down this week, and then we'll jump into our NL team's favorite players. Uh, last week we did the AL, so we're going to jump to the NL this week. But before we get to all of that, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Um, just, um, you know, living life. Um, got some uh, got some cool stuff going on right now. And um, I mean, uh, had a fun weekend. I was out at a friend's bachelor trip so that was that was cool it's a little bit of an unhealthy weekend so um i'm kind of getting back to my normal routine now but um but yeah it's uh you know everything's good how about yourself doing all right just uh you know i was hoping the negotiations this weekend would give me a little bit bigger of a uh a smile on my face but you know nascar is back and so i had i really enjoyed watching this week and the new car um it actually really impressed me at fontana this week it put on a fantastic race um, and then just, you know, working on little things behind. If, if you'll see one of the things I was working on in behind the scenes, if you're, um, you know, listening to this on the YouTube side, we have a new graphic um, over there and on the podcast side. You guys won't see it. But go check out the YouTube. You can see it there. Um, so that's going to be the new background until we're ready for uh, for the face cams. But just little things like that, just, you know, hanging out and getting little things done. So ready to uh, ready to jump into this uh, public clowning of Rob Manfred, at least on a, on my side. But before we jump to, to Rob Manfred, we'll talk about Derek Jeter um, actually stepped down from his role of CEO of the Miami Marlins and actually is, um, you know, letting go of his role of the ownership as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a pretty surprising move. I don't think anybody had, I don't think this had really been rumored at all or anything that Derek Jeter went and got a, was, you know, rather, either on the hot seat slash um you know not happy there um now i mean in the future i i don't know exactly what you know what 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 happened there but i don't really think it matters all that much i mean um jeter is somebody who's very inexperienced as an executive and um i don't really think he did all that much to help them out i don't think he really hurt them that much but um, I, um, uh, you know, he traded away a lot of good players and they were kind of rebuilding and it seemed like they had kind of gotten to a point where they could start to buy a little bit, maybe start to turn the corner. But, uh, you know, I, I guess he just decided that it was, he didn't really want to do it. And, um, you know, it's kind of tough when you're used to being a Yankee and, you know, now you are on the Marlins who, you know, <laughs> after, out of all the revenue talk we we've had about, you know, Major League Baseball with the CBA stuff, the Marlins might be a team that's legitimately got revenue problems. So, uh, because nobody goes to their games and nobody cares. So, um, I mean, I think the, you know, he's just doesn't really, doesn't really see eye to eye with everybody there. And um, honestly, you know, I didn't think this, that G Derek Jeter as an executive was going to work out too well to start with. And it seems like it, probably is actually ended before it could really turn into a disaster but you know it wasn't 
wasn't great. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what what happens there. I don't know what their situation is going to be. I don't know if they end up promoting, you know, Kim Ng as a, uh, you know, like a as, who's the general manager there to become a oversee all of baseball operations, or if they go make an outside hire or what. But I guess we're going to have a lot of time to find out about that because, um, you know, there's nothing going on right now. So. Yeah, so they uh, they did say that as of right now, Kim Ng will be the final um, final shot caller per se. Usually, she took everything and then ran it through Jeter, but now she's going to get full control of that. So um, the the plan is at least right now, and and I guess for for the foreseeable future, because they said they don't see hiring anybody um, in that sit, you know, in that place, um, Kim Ng will be able to take that over. But you know, it, it's like you said, I I think that he's kind of saw other things that were happening behind the scenes and just, they didn't have the same vision of what was going to happen. And it was really interesting because, you know, after the news broke that he was stepping down, it came out of nowhere. And then uh, like a bunch of players were just like, you know, they went to social media and they took a, you know, their time and, and put, made a post about it. And it kind of seemed like, cause it was on, uh, it was Monday. It was, yeah, it was on Monday. Um, that he kind of was doing this in like a move to stand with the players through everything that was happening with the CBA. At least that's how I kind of took it based on like whatever all of the players were saying. It wasn't just like a normal executive kind of like stepped down. Um, it, it really seemed like, you know, the players at least knew something that, you know, maybe the, the general public didn't at least so that it, it did make it a little interesting. And I, I did think it was a little too soon because or, you know, too soon for him to step down because, you know, he had really seemed to be involved with everything enough to, you know, they were just starting to build this around the right way and get to that point where they had a bunch of good pitching prospects. You know, their their young team was getting ready and they could spend some money and really make it a competitor. And I really felt that was like when Jeter was going to help them take that next step um, and be able to be a key person to, you know, get free agents to want to come to Miami and get people to come out to the park again and and stuff. So it is interesting to see that he steps down and, and what his new, you know, his next move is because there has been some rumors even since he stepped down that, you know, he might be looking to get into broadcasting, even maybe with an ESPN or something. So we'll be interesting to see the next step that Derek Jeter takes. But, um, you know, you had alluded to it right there with uh, not, not much going on. And I guess now's a good time ever, ever to, to jump into this last week of chaos that we've really seen with the CBA talks. Yeah, so uh, this last week was a, you know, it was a whirlwind with the CBA talks, and it, you know, really didn't end well. Um, you know, looking at the past week, uh, there was, just, you know, the first, when did they start? It was like last Monday they started. Monday, yeah. Yeah, so they honestly didn't, do, they didn't do anything at all. They didn't even attempt to make progress until like Friday or Saturday. And then it seemed like their numbers got a little bit closer together and they ended up eventually agreeing on some things. Uh, but the, the, the final values on their terms were way, way, way apart still as of yesterday. And there had been, there was a little bit of optimism being reported last night that they could have maybe get a deal going. And they actually extended their deadline, which was originally February 20, the end of February 28th, so the end of the month of February, to not cancel games. They eventually extended that to 5 o'clock today. I think it was 5 Eastern today. Yeah. And um, But um, obviously it didn't, it didn't come to fruition. And 
I think the uh, the ownership said that they thought that the deal was going to happen, but that the players' tone changed. The players said that wasn't true and that they were never very close and that any optimism was either just misreading the room or intentionally misleading people, which I, I don't know which case that is. It could be either one, I guess. Um, but fact of the matter is that after two and a half months of not even attempting to talk and then a full week of, well, five days of being closer to each other but not talking, and then two days of what appeared to have been talking um, have resulted in nothing. So uh, maybe the sides got a little bit closer together on, on terms and stuff, but I mean, because it's not like the ten million to hundred fifteen million dollar difference anymore. It's more like a forty to eighty five million or thirty to eighty five million dollar difference now. But um, you know, it didn't come to. And today, Manfred uh, announced that the first two series of the season, so I guess the first six games ish, were canceled. So uh, wonderful. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Um, so. You you alluded to some of the things they did agree on were was going to be a draft lottery, um, and that was going to be the the top five teams is something that they had basically agreed upon. Um, they had agreed upon to expanded playoffs up to twelve teams. The owners wanted fourteen. The players really pushed it off, so the owners did settle for twelve. So we get two more um, additional teams in. So now six from each side. Um, and then I believe there was some other stuff to deal with. The The players ended up did dropping all of their asking for Super 2 um, arbitration. They, they made that just stay the same at 22% uh, of those players. Um, they had agreed to the old basic CBA penalty system. Um, I think there was just a minor tweak to maybe the first level. It jumped from, I think, like 30% to like 32 and a half or something like that. I could be wrong. But it was really similar to the old penalty scale um, from the, the previous CBA. Uh, and then just the other stuff they that, you know, some of the stuff they got close to was like the minimum salary deal. You know, the, the owners finally got up to 700000 um, and actually looking at from what Passon had reported right after this, um, the players were at 725. So there's about a $25,000 difference there, but there's also a difference about the per year. The owners want it to go up 10,000 per year while the players want 20,000 per year in that. So that, that is close. They can make a deal pretty easy on that. If you just agree to 700 at 20 per year, or you go to 725 and 10 per year, I'm sure you can get. A deal done on that easily the big the big two issues are going to be this the luxury tax thresholds um and the pre-r bonus pool the owners finally came up to at least 30 million the players are looking for 85 million and, and an increase of 5 million per year um they they did finally get to the 150 players overall um the owners were trying to offer you know uh bigger sum per player and the, the, the association or the, or the union really wanted more players with, with money. Um, so they did get to 150 players, but you know, there's still a, a decent gap there between the actual number that those players are going to get. And then the, the thresholds, the owners want to start at 220 Now that would be a 10 or $10 million jump from what it was last year, but they want to keep that for three seasons and then jump up to 224 and then 230 at the end of the uh, the 
the luxury or the, the CBA and the players want to start this year at 238. So they want to start 8 million over what the owners want to end at next year or at the end of the deal. And the players want to get up to 263 million at the end of that, um, of the five-year deal. Yeah. So, um, you know, get looking at this th- as a whole, um, and there were a few other things that, that were mentioned. We'll talk about in a few minutes about, you know, what Manfred said today about kind of day-to-day baseball rules and stuff. But, um, a couple of the other things were my thoughts on this, at least were that, um, I, I think this is kind of a broken system in general and that the, the, the luxury tax is not a good system. It really isn't. And honestly, this issue is, you know, they're still so far apart. This issue is going to not be easily resolved because, I mean, the owners really needed to step up. I mean, they maybe could have gotten something where they, the first year or two were lower, like, like they, like they had planned, like a 220 type number for year one, but they would have had to step it up more per year than they wanted to. And obviously the players are, are not going to go for what they, what the ownership offered. Um, and, and on the other end too, I mean, you look at the, the pre-arm pool and stuff. I mean, it's both, you know, the, the offers are far, so far apart that nobody's going to take them. And to me, that just doesn't make sense why you would even offer them. I mean, really, like at this point, it just doesn't make sense. They know ownership knows the players aren't going to accept the deal they offered and the players know that ownership's not going to accept the deal they offered. So this is where we're at. And um, I mean, honestly, I really am starting to get to the point to where I think that something drastic has to be, you know, um, proposed something like a, you know, like a hard cap with a really high spending floor type thing that maybe they can limit the upper end team spending, but you know, teams like the Rays and the Marlins can't get away with spending $40 million in a season anymore. That's something that, you know, maybe in the law, maybe, maybe helps both sides. Honestly, that, that would help the players. I mean, you know, they would make more money overall if that was the case. And, and from an ownership side, um, you know, you keep that competitive balance and you have a, um, and you, you keep teams from, you know, just rising, you know, up into that over the luxury tax and stuff. I mean, it's something that could maybe be worked out. But this is also something that should have been started months ago. I mean, you know, kind of negotiating that and, and seeing what kind of structure they could put in for that. Um, and then you look at, um, you know, uh, some of the other little things, too. I know Manfred said today that the, he had put in like or that the owners had put in like pitch clocks and banning the shift. And bigger and bases, wanted, and bigger bases, as reasons to, uh, as part of the offer, which I, I truly don't understand why that would be in a CBA for one thing, and also the fact that he's trying to make it the fans. He th- he honestly thinks the fans want that, and that's not even true. The fans don't even want the expanded playoffs. No. So I mean, I don't understand why that would be that would be the case i don't understand why they think that would be a good thing and i don't know why that would even be a bargaining chip i don't think the players especially want that i think some players probably want to ban the shift but a lot of players don't i mean joey Votto does i mean (laughs) joey gallo does Oh, Joey Gallo, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, uh, Joey Votto might too. He he's he gets shifted a lot, but i mean a lot of pitchers probably don't i mean um 
and you look at like the bigger bases. I don't even know why that's even a thing. Like it doesn't make much sense. But um, pitch clocks, I don't think would even matter at the end of the day. Like I watch college baseball, and you, you don't even notice they're there. So no. um, I don't think that even makes any sense at all. But I mean, it is what it is. So, uh, but at the end of the day, like we're at a point where we had a deadline, and I know it's an arbitrary deadline, but. At the same time, I don't have a super big problem with a deadline like that because the only way to fix this is urgency. And regardless of which side needs to come to an agree, you know, needs to better their offer. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, like, you know, you need that urgency and, you know, a, you know, kind of a BS deadline probably isn't going to create that urgency. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to have another deadline for canceling more games. I don't know if they say, like, well, you know, if March 15th comes around and, you know, which is two weeks from now, also my birthday, if it comes around um, and we don't have a deal by then, we're going to cancel six more games or something. I don't know if that's what's going to happen or or what. Obviously, the, the you know, we, we will have to have some kind of preparation for the season, whether it's a week or, you know, a couple of weeks of spring training type thing. I know the players are going to have their um, – you know, the players are going to have a, a somewhat of a training site in, in Arizona. And I think they're trying to get one together in Florida. I don't know if it's come together yet, but um, I mean, maybe, maybe they have another and, and the players can get somewhat ready and then just have to have a couple weeks of tune up for the season. Um, obviously another big thing too, is there's a lot of, you know, free agents out there still that are going to have to be finalized. So, uh, you know, you look at like, you know, it's going to take more than two weeks. So, you know, honestly, realistically, a month out, I know it's an arbitrary deadline and people have been kind of calling it that. But, you know, with all the free agents that need to sign and a, a, a full real tune up for the season, spring training wise, um, you know, it's going to be t- it would be tough to to do much shorter than a month, you know, for a preparation for a full 162 game season. Now, when yeah. you shorten the season some, you don't need as many games to get ready, but you know, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah. So the, the league has already said, at least at this moment that they aren't going to plan on rescheduling games, um, that these games missed are what they are and they will not be paid for it. Now the players have already come back and said, well, like we're not going to agree to a deal unless we're getting paid for our 162 game season. And there's been, you know, stuff in the past where, Hey, like, Manfred wanted to do 154 games last year, but we'd still pay you for 162, like just little things like that. So that all happens, but there's uh, there was some talk at least coming into the deadline um, that the players had pretty much told them based off the 2020 season that the three weeks that they had leading up was a little too short um, of a timeline to really get fully ready. So that's where MLB is going on the assumption of something around the 24 to 25 day mark, um, is what's actually needed for a camp until games, regular season games could be started. That's kind of where they're at as an arbitrary number. Now that could be a day or two, you know, on each side, like today is 23 days. I think it was until, um, uh, when the they would have had some it was some 23 day mark I, I forget exactly what it was for but uh, so I, I would assume within the next like week 
you're looking at they would have to have you know something they say that no mean no sessions are scheduled to to renegotiate um now but it kind of looks like that may pick up on Thursday again. They're going to take Wednesday and kind of debrief with each side. But like you'd said, it you know they had 15 hours worth of meetings yesterday, and then you know I think there was like 11 different or 12 different sessions yesterday, and then there was you know three or four today. And MLB called their offer today their best and final offer. Um, and I don't know if that was best and final for canceling games or if that was best and final of like well we're all going to just take some more time on this or what that actually means but you know you're looking at a thing of of where the next you know week and a half is going to be very very uh, important to decide you know how many more games we get because it doesn't seem right now that MLB has a willingness to reschedule any games um at all and they're just going to let the schedule kind of play out with how it is and how many they keep yeah. canceling which I, w- I would still be where you know wary of getting a deal done within the next week and a half and that mattering at all anyways, because of the tone from each side. Right. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this is going to be the, the problem with, with Kevin, with having the first few games canceled. This is about a snowball because yep. once some games are canceled, that becomes a thing that obviously it's, you know, it's, it was willing, the players and the owners were willing to cancel games without taking a deal that wasn't in their favor, supposedly. And, you know, they were, so with that on the table, they didn't come to an agreement. So obviously they're stuck into their sides enough to where they don't believe that they believe it's worth it to, to cancel some games and how many games. I don't think they, I don't think they really care. I mean, I, honestly, I, I really don't think they care how many games get canceled no, if, as I, long as their side get wins, you know, wins whatever they want. So that's that's the problem I have is they're dug in enough to cancel some games. There's no end to how many games they're willing to cancel. No, especially from the player side. Um, you know, I think the owners will get a sense of urgency probably near the end of April. April is the lowest grossing month in baseball in general. Like once you start getting into May and then close, you know, getting into the summertime, that's when your your you know your revenues and everything really start picking up. So I think that's when the owners will start kind of noticing it more. The players, which is something I didn't know until I was doing some more digging in, they've withheld a hundred percent of their licensing revenues for multiple years now, like three or four years. Um, a hundred percent of that's been held back for this case. So players will still get, I mean, obviously it's still not going to be their, their full salary, but they will still get paid. So this, that just tells you like they've been preparing for multiple years for this to be a thing. And I, I, you know, there's been the sentiment around that the players are, you know, they're they're willing to play, but they're also willing to lose the entire season if that's the case. And, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be very happy with that. And I, I would look at, found upon the players in that scenario. Like if they, if they do say like, Hey, we'll just like screw the season, but you know, it it does show that they are willing to, to hold out and wait until they feel that they get something, you know, that's great for them. Um, Like I think they've just kind of had enough of being taken to the woodshed too many times. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a situation where I, I really think it's, 
I mean, I've been optimistic about it the whole time, thinking that they would probably come together on something eventually because the general structure was there, but the numbers were really far apart. Uh, but that once they had some urgency to not cancel games, that they would eventually kind of meet in the middle somewhere. And obviously that didn't even come close to happening. So, I mean, I it's we're going to... I, I have a feeling that we're not seeing any baseball till at least May and, and probably yeah. longer than that. I mean, I really... I, it's It's frustrating to me. And... Um, you know, I think that there's some reasons that, I mean, it's, that could be a, you know, in the long run, I mean, I, in the long run, honestly, and I know the players want to get their, their deal that they, you know, feel like they deserve and they probably do deserve, but in the long run, I think it just hurts everybody in baseball. I mean, this whole thing, you can blame who you want to. I mean, the owners have been ridiculous, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's just going to hurt everybody in baseball, and it stinks to see. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, it's like it's one of those things where it's it's like 1994 all over again. And, obviously, you don't want to, you know, if you end up agreeing this week and you miss the first six games of the year or something, then it's like whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, like if you end up with, you know, a 60-game season and another kind of, you know, whatever kind of postseason like it's just not gonna it's just not good so yeah and, and i i think my whole the the real disappointment that i have is that from we're so close off of the 2020 season where we dealt with a 60 game season and then you had all of the owners out there crying and and you know pleading that they had lost so much money and they had uh, had to do all these layoffs and they have to you know cut minor league teams and they have to do all this because they can't afford to pay it and then you know and then 2021 comes around and we had one of the best baseball seasons ever from both sides it really felt like baseball got its mojo it got its momentum back and then we hit into the stone wall again like and it's we're gonna go right back to you know it seems like a at least a shortened season right now but how short is that gonna get are we gonna get to another 2020 year and then we're gonna have to hear about it for you know the next three years on or whatever about no, how it's gonna it would be yeah. longer than three years we'd hear about it i mean this is one of those like in 1994 and you know i, I know i have family members that were baseball fans before 1994 and haven't watched another game I mean, well, I know I, that that's going to happen. I, I'm not so. talking about from the fans' perspective. I'm talking about from the owners' perspective, like how they were they were uh, the whole 2020 season, how much outcry we got, and how much it affected them. And then, you know, if we come to that again, are we going to have to hear it from their side for the next like three years? Like, oh, hey, like look, we've been affected 2020, and then we had a little bit of a bounce back in 21, but then 2022 happened and this whole lockout deal, and now we're just suffering so much more. Like we weren't able to rebound all the way from 2020, and then now it's happened to us again. And uh, that's what I really feel like is is going to be an issue. Like I, I feel like this is going to be a snowball effect for the owners on one side to say how much it has affected them. And I feel like that would hurt the game more than anything that, that, you know, they're doing at the bargaining table at this moment because they, they, they will eventually get to a deal. Like a deal will, will, you know, be made. We'll get some sort of a season. I'm, I'm sure once we get to the number that the players are willing to do and the owners are willing to, you know, or they, they want to not lose more money. Um, or whatever. So uh, there will be a deal. I just wonder what the long-term ramifications are. Is it going to be worth everything that you get in the CBA from your side? 
for each side to to have that going forward because not only are the owners going to start saying it it's going to affect the players going out to the markets like you know when when you say hey i'm out here i want this much money like da 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 and then the owners are going to be like well we just can't afford to pay you guys now like it's going to affect it. and i think that's my real disappointment is that we had the momentum back we went through this and i think going in i was hopeful that hey we just went through one of the worst things to ever happen to the game of baseball with the season and how much money it lost and everything and then we should know that we can't allow that to happen again and we, let's build off the momentum and it we're not going to get that it, it's yep. shown that that's already blown past and i think that's the real disappointment i've had with everything yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, well, let's hope that, you know, both sides are able to get together again. And, uh, you know, I, I think if they had another week of what they've been going through this week, they could probably get to something. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, it's a matter of, honestly, I think that there needs to be a drastic change, like I mentioned earlier, with a potential like salary cap with a high floor type thing, like something's going to have to happen that is completely new structure. Yeah. Cause honestly in, in a year or in, in five years when this agreement's up, they're going to be right back in the same spot again under this current like thing. So something needs to change. The, the, I mean, the, the hard cap thing, that's never going to happen. That, that nobody well, I, will agree, I agree to that one. But, I agree. But I think it would help both sides if it did. Like, I mean, I, that's just from a matter, you know, just, math wise like i think it would be good for both sides but it won't happen you said it if they had another like seven to ten days they'd get it done imagine if they had 43 more days how much they'd be able to be done and they you know they could have done it you know they could have been doing it during the season i mean that you know it's like but yeah they could have so anyways we've we've talked probably a lot more on this one but I, i think that you know we were really hoping that come today we were going to have some sort of good news to be able to talk about and it's it's been more of a uh, like a rant laden episode so far but um you know today was kind of a, a final straw for a lot of people um and i think that it just stuff needs to be said from each side and and you know a lot of people are, aren't gonna especially through the the reporters and the media they're not gonna you know say a lot of of what needs to be said at least so i know our our reach doesn't do much but at least it makes us feel better about it so but let's go ahead and move on to looking at each of our favorite players from each nl team um and we will start in the uh, national league east and we'll start with your atlanta braves yeah so um a much lighter note here but uh, we're gonna Let's shed some light on some players. Um, looking at the Braves, uh, obviously I'm a Braves fan, so every Braves player is my favorite player. Uh, but I am going to go with um, Tyler Matzik because I think it's really cool. And, and one of the one of the toughest things in sports is to come back from something like the yips. And Tyler Matzik had a major case of the yips. And, um, you know, the ability to come back and to turn not just turn into a, a – you know, useful pitcher at the big league level, but to turn into the, one of the most clutch pitchers at the, at the big league level and, and in the postseason and in a World Series run, it's really incredible for a guy who had had the you know mental issues on the mound that he had. So, uh, you know, it just kind of my respect for Tyler Matzik just went through the roof this year, and I really like him. I think he's a great, great pitcher, and uh, you know, one of my favorites in the whole game. So. Yeah, I ended up going with um, Austin Riley. Now, if if we could pick your previous teams, I would have went with Freddie Freeman, obviously, or um, 
or previous free agent or free agent signings this year. I tried to avoid those, but Austin Riley was a guy that, um, you know, he had a lot of talent and then he really struggled when he first came up in his first two years, um, in 2019 and 2020. And then I was talking to one of our other friends who happens to be a Braves fan as well. And I told him, I was like, if you just let Riley get comfortable, like he will, he will break out and he'll be one of your best players. And he really proved that this year came out in 160 games, had 33 homers, 107 RBIs, 303. I mean, had one of the best seasons. I mean, he was a legit MVP candidate for most of the season. Um, and he was just a guy that I've always believed in as a prospect. And I knew eventually he would be great. And it's just been fun for me to watch his rise up from struggling, you know, being that young player that struggles to really taking that next leap. Um, so that's kind of why Austin Riley is my favorite Atlanta Braves player at the moment is just because I've seen him uh, take this step and he's somebody I've always believed in. So, but looking over at the Philadelphia Phillies, um, I ended up picking first on this one and I ended up going with Bryce Harper um, MV Harper, however you want to say it. Uh, I, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the game. A lot of people want to say he's overrated nowadays, and I just don't think that that's the case. I think Bryce Harper has been so damn good for so long. He did have his little weak spells in there, but I, I just don't think – I think people hate the personality that he showed more and, and how brash he was as a young player, and they don't understand and, and really grasp how much he's kind of matured and how much of a great player he's really turned into. Yeah, I think uh, one funny thing about Bryce Harper is you mentioned the fact that he's, you know, people call him under or that he's kind of underrated now. He was he was overrated for a long time because people were saying he was Mike Trout. And, you know, he went from being people started calling him overrated so often they became acting like he wasn't good. And now he's underrated. So it's kind of funny. But um, but my pick for the Phillies was uh, was Zach Wheeler. Um, you know, I had a little bit of a hard time picking for the Phillies, but, um, but Zach Wheeler's a guy who, you know, has struggled with his injuries in the past and he's kind of reworked himself and come back from injuries, which is very difficult to do, especially the injuries he had like Tommy John and, uh, you know, worked himself into, you know, a, a borderline or, you know, what could have been the Cy Young candidate this year. And, um, uh, you know, in the future looks like a, a guy who could be there again. So Zach Wheeler did a great job kind of reworking himself and uh, coming back from injuries. And that's pretty cool. So good for Zach Wheeler, but uh, the next team we have here and uh, I got to pick first here, which was good. It's the uh, New York Mets. And uh, I went with Jacob deGrom because there's nobody more dominant in this game than Jacob deGrom at, at or, or really, honestly, I, I don't know if there's anybody more dominant in sports right now than Jacob DeGrom at their, at their craft. The guy is just insanely good. He's the most talented pitcher in the game, uh, throws that hard fastball, and his breaking stuff is incredible. And not only that, but he's smart. He knows what he's doing, and he's just a great pitcher in general. So, um, you know, Jacob DeGrom is a guy, and I like his attitude on the mound. He's always real poised and you know, he's fired up. He never wants to come out of the game. I mean, he's definitely, you know, my favorite player on the Mets. So are you a short haired DeGrom guy or are you a long haired DeGrom guy? Does, doesn't matter. Okay. thought that would help sway the, sway the vote a little bit there, but uh, I ended up going with uh, Francisco Lindor since you took Jacob DeGrom and crushed my dreams. But uh, Francisco Lindor, you know, he had a really down season this year, but he, for a long time in Cleveland, was known as, you know, the Mr. Smiles, the guy who had one of the biggest smiles and brightest smiles all around. And, um, 
he just has been a guy who I've enjoyed watching. Like he doesn't do any one thing flashy. He's just really good at everything. Uh, and he's just somebody that you can respect. I mean, you know, played, did really well for Cleveland, um, you know, helped lead them to a world series for the first time in a long time. Um, and then they got to the point where they couldn't afford him and they traded him to the, to the Mets. But, um, you know, Lindor, one of the best shortstops. Um, I think he's fallen down the ranking a little bit cause you've just seen guys grow, but, um, there was a time where he could have argued be the best shortstop in the game. And he's just been fun to watch for a long time for me. So Frankie Lindor, uh, is my favorite player off the Mets, but looking over to the Miami Marlins. Now, uh, I went with another young player who has a lot of energy and, uh, is working his way up still, but that's jazz Chisholm. Um, a guy who I think could be an absolute future star. He just needs to work on the, a little bit more plate discipline, but the, 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 uh, you know, character he is off the field and his Twitter game is amazing as well, uh, which just helps me like him even more. But the energy he plays with on the field um, and the dynamic player that he has shown flashes to be is just really fun to see. And you'll notice the trend. I, I pick a lot of fun players to watch, and that's just because, um, you know, the, it's a it's a more of a joy watching them. And I know that's really sounds stupid because it's fun, but obviously. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I look at uh, for the Marlins. I I have a few players I like there. Uh, I thought about picking Sandy Alcantara and pa- or Pablo Lopez, but I picked uh, Miguel Rojas. I think it's really cool that he kind of went from being a kind of afterthought and with the Dodgers to really being kind of the heart and soul of the Marlins. Um, and I think he's got a pretty underrated game. He's got a great glove at shortstop, and he hits a lot better than people think. He's not really a power guy, but uh, you know, he's been able to put together a couple of pretty decent seasons to play close to league average. And uh, I think he's pretty underrated for that reason. And I mean, I, you know, he's just kind of a player that has worked his butt off to become a, a pretty good player. And uh, he's got a good personality. People seem to like him. So, you know, I think that I think he's a pretty cool player to pull for. And, uh, you know, he's probably one of my favorites on the Marlins. But uh, moving on to the next team, uh, which is the Washington Nationals, I actually went with a guy who not too many people know about, but Yadiel Hernandez, um, you know, he's a guy who was a journeyman minor leaguer who spent like a lot of time in the minor leagues. And he finally got called up at age 34 to the big leagues for the first time. And he's made the most of it. He's really stuck at the big league level and uh, done a pretty solid job there. So that that's pretty cool. Um, and I think it's always fun to see a player who has gone from, you know, for so long without being able to get a shot at the big leagues to finally get that shot and take, make the most of it. So I picked him. Yeah. And then on this one, you made it really easy for me to, to just go ahead and go with Juan Soto. Um, one of the best young players in baseball, one of the best players in baseball in general. Um, you know, the, the type of hitter that he is the all around hitter that he is at such a young age is still just 23 years old. Um, you know, the eye he has at the plate is insane. Like the pitches that he could take, you know, you see some of the best players in the world just whiff at and completely miss. And he just stands there like it didn't even affect him. Um, and you very rarely see him get beat on anything. Um, he is always able to, to find the way to put the bat on the ball and he can hit for power and he, you know, his defense isn't as great as his, his offensive production, but Man, it's just, I, I can't wait to see what he looks like in 10 years when he's at 33 and the stats that he's been able to accomplish up until that point and see where he's at because I think there is a legit chance that he is one of the all-time great hitters 
um, you know, that we're seeing and going to be at least one of the best in our generation for sure. But uh, we're good. I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a player that's, you know, easy to like. And I think um, you look at him as, you know, just that talent is incredible. So, yeah. And then looking, you know, jumping over to the uh, NL central, and we're going to start with the Milwaukee Brewers there. And if you've listened to these, this uh, this podcast for a long time, you will know that um, I am going to go easily with Corbin Burns here. And that's just from the fact of that I faced him one time when I was in high school. He made me look at like an absolute fool at the plate. And then he's from the the Bakersfield area um, and went to Centennial High School. So it's uh, have a, a personal connection with Corbin Burns and uh, the hatred that he made me feel as a high school freshman or whatever, when he was going to be a draft prospect to be in a major leaguer, making major league hitters look how he made me look as a freshman. Uh, it's been pretty fun to see, so I don't feel as bad now. Yeah, um, I went with um, Brandon Woodruff, and honestly, you know, he's a guy that I think is not talked about enough. He's been overshadowed by Corbin Burns this year, and he's really been fantastic for the last three years, and he doesn't seem to get talked about enough as a as an ace and i think he's a great pitcher and uh you know brandon woodruff is i mean he's almost as good as corbin burns i mean he's not he's not as good as corbin burns he's not that far off of him so uh it's pretty cool to watch him become what he's become and i mean that one too it's at the top of that rotation is unbelievable but um speaking of a really good starting pitchers uh the next team we have on our list is the St. Louis Cardinals and my pitcher or player I picked for them is Adam Wainwright. And, um, I really like Wainwright. The fact that he was able to at age, what, 39 last year, um, do what he did and, you know, kind of rework himself and keep pitching at the, at the long, with the longevity that he's been able to pitch with. is really, really cool. Um, the fact that he's, you know, stuck in the game and he it, it shows how much he loves playing the game and um i also thought he was a really good personality when he got a shot in the tv booth in the playoff a couple of years ago so uh, i really like wainwright and um you know i look forward to seeing him move into a, a role where we hear a lot from him in the you know in the booth eventually after because i think that'll end up being a role for him he seemed really good at it and it seemed like he enjoyed it so uh you know adam wainwright's a good player and um, on, a, on another note, I wish he had not been traded from the Braves because he's <laughs> he would have been a really nice piece to have there. So, um, you know, Adam Wainwright's, you know, he's my favorite on the Cardinals. Yeah, looking at the Cardinals, it was a team that I kind of did struggle to pick one guy from. I think there was uh, like about three or four guys I could have easily chosen, but I ended up going with Paul Goldschmidt. Um, a guy who was is well known for his time in Arizona and and being in the the Dodgers division, I was able to watch him for, you know, so long. And, and I think he's more criminally underrated for how good of a player he really was. I mean, if you look at that stretch from 2013 really through 2018, um, you know, his lowest weighted runs created on the year or on on out of those years was 133, and he just he plays really good defense. He or uh, not really good defense. Sorry. He's a really good base runner. Um, he's just a really good hitter. He, for first baseman being able to steal you, you know, 30 bags one year in 2016. And, but he's always a threat to get close to that 20 stolen base mark. Um, you know, and then when he got traded to St. Louis, there was a, people thought, you know, in 2019, he really struggled. And then 2020 he got, uh, or, you know, he, he 
bounced back. And then 2021, he's just right back to the old Paul Goldschmidt again at the age of 34. So it's really been fun to, to see him throughout his career and then to continue to being good, even after he got traded from a, you know, from a place where he gave so much, but look at over to the Cincinnati Reds. That's the next team we went to. Uh, I ended up going with starting pitcher, Tyler Male, um, young guy, uh, who is just kind of starting to break into his own, had a really good year this year with a, a 375 ERA, a 380 FIP, um, and 374 XFIP. Uh, had a good 2020 as well, so it was really good to see that he was able to carry that over to a full season, uh, over, You know, pitched 180 innings this year. There's not one thing that I really like jumps off the page to Male about me. It's just I just, he's one of those guys that just has some random thing that I really got connected to one day watching a game and um, just have really been able to follow him ever since. And whenever he's on the mound, it's, it's a guy who I really want to tune in and watch for some reason. So Tyler Molly was my pick for the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. He threw a perfect game in the minor leagues, I believe. Um, oh, I looking at, uh, I, I think he did. I think he was the Reds pitcher that did a few years ago, but um, looking at the Reds, um, you know, I, I, could have gone with some different guys. I like Castillo and um, and Sonny Gray, but I think um, you know the easy pick for me was Votto. Uh, Votto is just a really fun player because of his. He's got a really interesting personality, and um, you know the fact that he is such a finely tuned hitter. The way he's done, the way he approaches hitting is is really fun. Um, I think that, you know, there were some years where he was like, okay, I'm never swinging at a pitch outside the strike zone. And he ends up like walking like 20% of the time and never striking out. And then there's the year like, I'm just never going to strike out, just doesn't strike out. And then you have like this year where he's like, okay, I'm not really doing that well anymore. I guess my bat's slowing down. So I'm going to start swinging a little bit more and I'm going to start hitting home runs. And then he starts hitting home runs. Like, it's really fun to watch Joey Votto kind of do whatever he wants to do. Um, so he's, he's kind of my pick for the Reds, but, um, look, looking forward to the next team. Um, uh, you know, there were a lot of players that had a lot of personality on the Cubs, but you know, they traded a lot of guys off last year. So there's not too many guys with a lot of, uh, popularity left, but the one I decided to go with was Keegan Thompson. He's a young pitcher for them. And, um, you know, he's a fun guy for me personally because of, he played at Auburn while I was in school there. And, um, it was a lot of fun to watch him pitch every every other day or every every few days. He was a guy that um, he had good stuff. Obviously, he's had good enough stuff to get to the big leagues. But the f- most fun thing about him was that he just attacked. He never try- he tried to never walk anybody, and he was uh, head of a rotation at Auburn that had him and, and Casey Mize together, and also Davis Daniel, who's a prospect for the Angels. They had three really really good pitchers in their rotation. It was a lot of fun to watch Keegan Thompson. Uh, come out there on Friday nights in the SEC and, and, and develop. And, you know, then after being, you know, like a third or fourth round pick, uh, see him get up to the big leagues and, and have some limited success there to the point of being able to stay on the roster for this coming up year is uh, is pretty fun to watch. So I, I went, went ahead with Keegan Thompson. So the Cubs for me was a team that I really struggled to find somebody. Um, you know, if you had asked me last year, I would have been able to, to tell you Chris Bryant very easily would have been my favorite player on the Cubs. But you had, you know, we all have talked about their exodus of players at the, the trade deadline and that. So it was really hard going through the people of who I really wanted to pick. And I didn't want to pick like brand new free agents. Um, 
or people you hadn't really seen in a uniform before. But this was one instance where I'm going to break my own rule and and give myself a little mulligan. And I ended up going with Nick Madrigal, um, a guy who they the Cubs acquired at the trade deadline um, from the Chicago White Sox for Craig Kimbrell. And we haven't been able to see him because he had a season and injury, but he's just a guy who he doesn't hit for much power, but he, and he doesn't hit the ball even particularly hard, but he's one of those super fast players that just like a blooper can get you a double and, and, you know, a single, you know, thing that would get into the gap for most people and be a double that would get cut off before even the warning track turns into a triple for him. So just seeing, uh, you know, a guy who he doesn't have all the power, but has that insane speed and be able to to use that to his advantage. And hopefully he stays healthy because I also have him on my fantasy baseball team for Dynasty. So I'd very much like a, uh, a great Nick Madrigal uh, career. But we'll go ahead and look at the Pittsburgh Pirates next. Um, and mine is going to be a little bit of a weirder one here, and that's going to be uh, Yoshi Satsugo. I uh, could have easily gone with Brian Riddles, but. Uh, so Tsugo, before he actually got traded or went to the Pirates um, this past year in the middle of the season and, and really had a, a you know a good end to the 2021 season, he was on the Dodgers for a little bit. He was a guy I originally wanted them to get when he had, was coming over from um, overseas. I don't I get it mixed up if he was in the KBO or if he was in the MPB, um, but he was a guy I really wanted then. He ended up going to the Tampa Bay Rays, and then when the Rays – uh, DFA'd him. He came to the Dodgers. Uh, he didn't have much success with LA, but the character that he was and seeing how the teammates um, really interacted with him and, and the way that even though the language barrier was really there, how he just had so much fun and, and was able to you know bring a, a different energy that they had been missing um, for a year or so uh, was really fun to see. So Yoshi Satsugo was, uh, was my favorite player from the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, not, not a guy that too many people kind of think about, but uh, another guy that people probably do think about with the Pirates, if they ever think about the Pirates, is uh, Brian Hayes. And he's a guy that I, I like watching. He's really entertaining. He plays really good defense at third base. He can hit. Uh, a guy who has potential star written all over him. Uh, he has struggled with some injuries, but he's one of those kind of up-and-comers that are really, really going to be fun to watch if they can stay healthy, you know, this coming up season, if we have a season. So, um, you know, he's a guy that I'm definitely keeping my eye on. And I'll, uh, you know, if I tune into the Pirates, he'll be one of the ones to watch. But um, moving on, uh, one more division here. We got the NL West and the uh, Giants are the next team on our list. And uh, my pick for the Giants is Logan Webb. Um, I don't really know why, except for the fact that I think he's a guy that, you know, he doesn't have the best stuff, but he really has figured out how to use it correctly. And, you know, I think it's really telling when a guy who's, a you know, I guess he was technically not a rookie, but when he can come out in the playoffs against, you know, a team that was the wildly favored World Series champion and deal the way he did twice, it's pretty incredible. And it was a lot of fun to watch, and it, it really made me uh, gain a lot of respect for Logan Webb. So I went and picked him for the Giants. Yeah, so uh, for the Giants, I decided to pick absolutely nobody. Um, because I cannot stand the Giants. But no, uh, I ended up going with Alex Wood, um, kind of like the the least of the worst Giants, because at least he has a Dodgers connection. Uh, and actually a Braves connection as well. So we were both connected with Alex Wood, but 
he's a guy who, you know, he's well known for having that funky release, uh, came over to the Dodgers. I believe it was mid season of 2015 and he pitched really well for them. Um, especially that 2017 season where it was, I believe it was all-star year had a 272 ERA and, um, just one of those guys who, you know, he didn't overpower you with stuff. He just had that funky kind of movement to his pitches because of the, the weird arm angle that he was coming at. And, um, just was always awkward. It seemed like, but got, got the job done. And then he ended up, um, getting traded to Cincinnati, came back to the Dodgers as a part of the world series team. Um, and then he went to the giants, um, this past year and was, was pretty good as well. So Alex Wood was my, uh, my favorite San Francisco giant. If I had to pick one, uh, and then looking at my team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, I ended up going with Cody Bellinger, uh, just because I can't pick Clayton Kershaw right here, but Bellinger is another guy who really struggled this year, but he had, you know, he won his MVP a couple years ago. Um, and I just, something about the way that he had played that immediately, you know, made him one of my favorite players. I didn't know if it was just, you know, the way, how much power he showed or, or just the, the defense, but just something about Bellinger that really just caught my eye from the, from the first time, you know, and he knows him as a prospect that, uh, you know, even when he's uh, playing down and I could pick a handful of players from the Dodgers, but um, you know, Bellinger was a, was a pretty easy second selection for me. Yeah. So for the, for the Dodgers, um, I don't know why, you know, as a Dodgers fan, you pick the worst player on your own team, but anyways, um, <laughs> I've got to pick up, okay. <laughs> I'm going to pick um, Justin Turner. Um, I think he's a really cool story after being after really struggling with the Mets that he was able to rework his swing and you know just become a really consistently good player for the Dodgers. Um, I really like his game. He can kind of do everything at the plate, and uh, you know he played he played a good third base until he's he's kind of struggling a little bit more now than he ever has because of his age. But um, you know he's also it seems like a good guy and he's a good team leader and I think that's always something to look at with a guy. I, I like Justin Turner. Uh, and then moving on to the Padres, um, you know the, it was kind of I had a kind of a tough time picking for the Padres too. But uh, Jerks and Profar was a guy that I decided to go with. Um, it says a lot to me about somebody's mentality when they you know, have the amount of injuries he had and it causes him to fall from being like a top prospect and being, you know, like literally the number one prospect in baseball, have all the expectations he had and, and to fall off to the level of, you know, really basically being a journeyman and uh, then to kind of turn it around to a point of being able to stick with the Padres and sign a decently sized contract. Um, I think that was really cool that uh, jerks and profile was able to stick around and, and do that. So, uh, good on him, and uh, he was my pick for the Padres. Yeah, so the Padres, um, I want to like a guy like Fernando Tatis until he just absolutely murders the Dodgers for every game that he decides to play them. So it's very hard for me to to make him my favorite player from the Padres. Machado was a was a consideration, even though they've had some bad blood with LA. Um, I'd always liked him when he was with Baltimore, but I ended up going with Will Myers. Um, and, and kind of my, my story with Will Myers goes back to when he was getting traded for James Shields and everything. I was highly convinced that Will Myers was going to be like an MVP and one of the best players ever. Um, I don't know why, but I was, and I stuck by that for a long time and he's never produced to that level, but he still had a decent career. Um, and I've just kind of followed him everywhere he's went because I was hoping the one day he'd have that breakout and prove me right, even though I should be on old takes exposed at this moment for that. 
But looking at uh, looking at the Colorado Rockies, uh, I went with Ryan McMahon, uh, another guy who don't really have much of a backstory about to why he was my favorite or is my favorite player for a certain team. Um, just I've always thought that he was his left-handed swing was one of the nicer left-handed swings, um, one of the prettiest swings in baseball to me at least. And uh, playing in Colorado, I was convinced or am that he can be some sort of a, a really good player. He started 2021 with as that type of player and then uh, tailed off towards the second half. So maybe just needs to, to, you know, get used to that everyday role and maybe 2022, if we have a season will be his breakout. Yeah. So uh, for the Rockies, I went with Herman Marquez. Um, I, t- I talk about him a pretty good bit, but he's one of those pitchers that I feel like if he was not in cores, he would be like an absolute stud ace for somebody. And um, you know, he's, a guy that just he's criminally underrated just because of where he plays. And I mean, the fact that he's been able to put up the numbers he has in, in cores is, is, you know, just goes to show how good he is. And uh, I wish the Rockies would get their heads out of their butts and go ahead and trade him because obviously he's not going to be part of a contending team there. And they could probably get a lot in return for him uh, for, for when they do have a contending team. So, uh, but you know, I'd love to see what he could do somewhere else, but uh, you know, for now, you know, he's my favorite player on the Rockies. And then moving on to the final team we got here, which is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, my player I picked was Bumgarner, uh, who I guess it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a weird one to pick, but a lot of people don't like him. But um, I've always, for whatever reason, thought it was kind of cool that, you know, he, for one thing, you know, the his ability to hit was kind of fun to watch. But the fact that, you know, he was kind of like this just tough, like not, didn't care what people thought about him type guy. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, you know, some of his antics about staring down people who, you know, showed him up or whatever. Like, I didn't like that that much. But, um, you know, I actually I take that back. I did like that because it showed that he had a lot of passion for, the for you know, how he did and that it bothered him when he did bad. So, um, you know, I don't want somebody out there starting throwing, throwing baseballs at people or starting fights, but it was fun to watch him. You know, he'd always get pissed off when something, when he would make a mistake and somebody would hit a home run off him or something. And, um, you know, I always thought that was, you know, something that was kind of cool. And I don't know, Bumgarner always kind of was a guy that I, I, I kind of liked for that reason. So the, the stare down with Joe West was the absolute greatest moment of Bumgarner's career. In my that was eyes. pretty great. That um, was pretty great. But, you know, for to wrapping up um, the the NL favorite player teams were on my side for the Diamondbacks. I went with Cattell Marte, probably the easy pick for the Diamondbacks, to be honest. But um, I always enjoyed those stories like you kind of how you were saying, you know, a guy who had kind of struggled and then was able to rework himself when he first came up with the Mariners um in 2015. He had a good year, um, 57 games. And then in 2016, he really struggled. And then the Mariners traded him to the Diamondbacks. I believe that was in the uh, Taiwan Walker, like Mitch Haniger deal. Um, Gene Segura was in that as well. And he really struggled his first year in Arizona. And then in 2018, he kind of bounced to the 2015 kind of person. Not as good, but not quite as bad as the two years before. And then in 2019, uh, he really took that massive step. He went from being basically around a 260 hitter to hitting 330, getting on base 39% of the time, 32 homers. Um, and then in 2020, he, he was battling some injuries that kind of zapped his power a little bit. And then he in 2021, he bounced back to being 
Um, not quite the same power numbers as that, but being that you know all around better hitter. I mean, he hit three almost three twenty this year. Um, so it was just one of those guys who would you know really struggled and got traded to a team, even struggled there, but then finally found his way and went back. You know, went to being a, a really good player, not even just a, a good player. He went to being a really good to even great player. Um, even for a team like the Diamondbacks who don't have much talent on that team right now. Um, you know, most people can usually pitch around Marte and he's still finding a way to be, you know, productive at least in that, um, you know, in that, that lineup or whatever. And there's a guy, you know, there's a chance he could get traded here soon and maybe he gets traded to a, a bigger team and he can make a bigger impact there. But, um, you know, it's been fun watching Marte and uh, hopefully he gets traded here soon so he can have a chance to win because he, uh, he probably deserves it. Yeah, for sure. Well, that will uh, pretty much wrap up this episode and uh, looking at the NL player or NL team's favorite players uh, and then our CBA talks. Hopefully we have a lot better news by the time we're talking to you next time. I'm highly skeptical of that, but you never know. It only takes takes one meeting, one person to really step up and make the make the first move and swing for the fence. And, you know, once that happens, it could be a snowball you know, from there and get done really quick. So hopefully we have that by the next episode and we're done talking about, um, you know, the cancellation of regular season games and we can look at, um, you know, a free agency and trade market getting ready and, and spring training. But, uh, you know, well, I highly doubt that that's going to happen. We're going to have to find some stuff to talk about here soon, but anything you want to, you want to wrap up on? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Just, um, you know, I'm holding out hope as well, but I mean, as someone who was really optimistic for a while, you know, when this didn't happen, when they had a deadline for it, um, I think it's going to be a while. So we'll see. But uh, I'm not I'm not super excited. But, um, yeah. you know, we'll see. Uh, you never know. So but we'll, we'll in the meantime, find some good baseball content to talk about. and uh, You know, hopefully, uh, you know, keep you all entertained. And, you know, it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of hard work from the hardcore fans like us to uh you know to keep people interested in baseball and and to keep the train rolling you know since apparently the owners and players don't especially want to do that so yeah so uh that's going to wrap up this episode before we leave again uh i would encourage you guys if you can if possible check out the youtube um it's at the bat flip podcast um instagram as well we're we're starting over there but really i want to start pushing that youtube and then here in the future once we start building that up a little bit um, we're going to look into doing some streaming um, as well doing some live stream maybe doing question and answers or maybe doing live episodes um, to where people can jump in and then listen there but i'm really trying to push that so if you guys would go check that out go check out the uh, the instagram even the twitter if you can um, just help us build it and we very much appreciate it. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Batflip podcast and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.